This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. Do you work with millennials? That's the generation born after 1980. Considering they make up a quarter of Canada's workforce, the answer is likely yes. And you might have noticed their attitude towards employment is very different from ours. From unrealistic career expectations to a constant need for approval, millennials are changing the dynamics of many Canadian offices. Today I'll talk to Bruce Mayhew, a Zoomer who's developed a program to help us negotiate the demands of a multi-generational workforce. And Elise Kafitz, a millennial, who will explain her generation's attitudes and opinions. Gluten allergies, I'd say about a decade ago, was one in 2,500. Today we're hearing about these allergies, one in 133. That's nutritionist and cookbook author Rose Reisman talking about the latest food craze, the gluten-free diet. She'll tell you how to figure out if it's right for you. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week we found a new contender for the world's oldest person. According to Bolivia's public records, Carmelo Flores Laura is a whopping 123 years old. That makes him eight years older than Misao Akawa of Japan, who was thought to be the world's oldest person at 115. And Carmelo isn't just the oldest person alive today. He's the oldest person who's ever lived, a title that previously belonged to Francis Jean Calment, who passed away at 122 in 1997. Carmelo Flores Laura lives in an isolated hamlet near Lake Titicaca in Bolivia's Andes Mountains. He attributes his longevity to walking a lot, herding his cattle and sheep. He also says he doesn't eat rice or noodles, mostly barley. Here at home, fresh doubts about the controversial liberation therapy for multiple sclerosis. Italian vascular surgeon Paolo Zamboni first hypothesized in 2009 that narrowed and twisted veins in the neck create a backup of blood in the brain, resulting in iron deposits that could cause lesions typical of MS. But after one of the largest studies of its kind, researchers at Hamilton's McMaster University have found no evidence to back this up. They say the Italian doctor's theory is simply wrong. Although the McMaster study adds to a growing body of research contradicting Zamboni, many supporters and patient advocates still support his treatment. Just over a month ago, we told you that Laszlo Chatari, a former Canadian, had been indicted by Hungarian prosecutors for war crimes against Jews during World War II. But he will never face justice. Laszlo Chatari died last Saturday at the age of 98. 
He was accused of being the chief of an internment camp for 12,000 Jews at a brick factory in the Slovak city of Kosice and beating them with his bare hands and a dog whip, as well as assisting in their deportation to Nazi death camps. He was first detained by Hungarian authorities in July 2012 after his case was made public by the Simon Wiesenthal Center. Jatari lived for decades in Canada and worked as an art dealer before leaving in 1997, before he was due to appear at a deportation hearing. And finally, what's the most common regret of older Zoomers? According to Dr. Carl Pellimer, it's worrying. In 2004, the Cornell University professor created the Legacy Project, an effort to collect advice and wisdom from America's oldest citizens. He since asked over a thousand participants to reflect on the biggest regret of their life, and the overwhelming response was that they spent too much time worrying. Common explanation was that worrying won't solve anything and ends up being an enormous waste of time in a life that is too short and precious. I'm Libby Zimmer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. They were born after 1980, and they're called millennials. If you have children or grandchildren in this cohort, you'll know they have a reputation as spoiled and entitled people who don't want to pay their dues. Well, they are soon coming to a workplace near you. How to avoid generational conflict? I'm here with corporate trainer Bruce Mayhew, a Zoomer, and 20-something Elise Kafitz, who recently joined CARP to work on community development. The millennials are reacting exactly the way that they should be based on the boomers that raised them. We always uh, encouraged them to do their best, and we took away anything that would obstruct their success. They're coddled. Yeah, they they got a lot of really great uh, opportunity because their parents were able to provide that opportunity to them. And they got to travel really well, and they got to experience uh, a lot of things that frankly, the boomers, when they were young, didn't get to experience. Here you say that they're coming to your office, uh, they'll want to wear flip-flops, they don't care about spelling, they have no discipline, and they expect the keys to the corner suite. That's right. Uh, What do you say to that, Elise? I I don't think that's fair at all. I would never wear flip-flops to work. None of my friends would ever wear flip-flops to work, even if it's casual Fridays. I guess if I can comment on the piece about our parents coddling us, I think to some extent we're really, you know what, we're lucky. My grandparents, uh, their parents, you know, were, went through war and they didn't have a choice and they had to jump right into the workforce. And there's a whole different thing that we're missing, I think, um, in this whole conversation. If, we're, if, if we can't just compare apples to oranges, I think there's a whole difference in the generations and how things have changed. What about this business of having no discipline or say, I'm going to sound like an old fogey here, you know, when I was young and starting out, there was no such thing as what hours you wanted to work or anything like mm-hmm. that. You worked, mm-hmm. you worked all the time and you looked for opportunities to work more and, and they have a different attitude to it. Yeah, so I think it's different. It is I different. think it's certainly different and I, and I think I would blame my parents for that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. I, I would. I think... You know, there was so, I had so much opportunity. I got to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. You know, I was lucky for that. But, you know, even even starting here, starting in my in my job, it was hard to stay here for someone to tell me to stay from 10 to 6 that I have to park myself and, and, and do that. Like, it is very challenging. And I think it's part of the early stages of a millennial jumping into the workforce. We need to learn. 
how do we deal with that? I mean, it because well, it, it makes us angry and it makes us as boomers angry. And, it yeah. makes us well, as angry, and I think well, these people aren't serious. Yeah. The boomers aren't used to all of the choice that millennials are. And so we don't provide that choice into the millennial market. We say, do this, and they expect it to get done in one way. What, what do you mean? Well, you can't say, okay, <clears throat> do this. Well, you, you can, but you need to say, uh, I'd like you to do this. And if you have any thoughts around how we could do that better, then let's talk about that. Doesn't that go without saying that if you're doing something and you can see a way to do it better, you make a suggestion? Yeah, I think so. And I think there has to be an opportunity to empower the millennial. You have to give them the opportunity and make them feel like they can actually say, I have value to give. Because personally, like when I first started working, I was scared. I was, almost, I was scared to go to my employer and suggest something because their idea or their view might be better. They've been around, they're senior, they know better than I do. And then who am I to walk in here with some sort of degree in a hand and some minimal experience and say, here, I have an idea. So there has to be some sort of dynamic and a creation of a relationship in the, in the very beginning where you can speak about, like, how are we going to work? Which I, is, I, I, I totally I, agree with that. The younger generation is going into the workforce and either they're talking to their boomer bosses and they're being shut down or they're not talking to their boomer bosses, and either way, they're getting frustrated. And when they're, not, when they're frustrated, what they're going to do is that they're going to be unsatisfied in their employment and they're going to leave. You're saying that uh, we, the older generation, have to alter our approach to motivation, mentoring, feedback, and on-the-job training. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that, that millennials have always received is constant feedback on how they're doing and how things are going and what... But, but they receive good feedback. They receive good, good feedback. And, and I think what happens mm -hmm. is that... And certainly they've, they're sensitized to that positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. So it, it's one of the challenges that, that we, I think we as uh, boomers do face when talking to millennials and to working with millennials is to try to help them understand that. I'm, I might be giving you some negative feedback, but the negative feedback might not be personal, and it's actually for everybody's benefit. So please don't take it personally and then move forward. But we also have to recognize that we're going to have to give them positive reinforcement when it happens. And that's one thing that we're not very good at. You're saying sort of you have to give this little bits of peanut praise. Absolutely. But to say, that was a helpful idea you had in today's meeting? I mean, come on. If my boss said that to me, I would laugh in his face. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you, you don't expect that kind of no reward? No offense. Pardon? You don't expect that kind of I don't think it needs to be like that. I don't need to feel like I'm getting a pat on the back. If, yeah. they, if they want to talk to me, it could be straight up. If we're talking about a shared relationship, if we're talking about being open and honest, it's not just one way. It's I don't and, and maybe coming from a millennial, maybe this is my problem. But I don't think there's anything wrong with me saying something to my boss that I either have a issue with or um, a, a particular idea. You know, really complimenting them for something that's positive. I think goes two ways. Absolutely. Sure. Okay. Yeah. On that note, I think we'll wrap it up. Bruce and Elise, thanks so much. Thank you. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Have you noticed people saying no to buns with their burgers and hot dogs at barbecues this summer? How about passing on the pasta salad and cake? It could be because they've taken on a gluten-free diet. Why have so many people adopted this craze? In just a moment, Rose Reisman will tell us. 
You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. It's the latest craze in nutrition with everyone from the world's top tennis player to professional runners singing the praises of a gluten-free diet. We already know that people with celiac disease cannot eat wheat products, but thousands of others say they have an allergy or sensitivity to gluten and they feel better cutting it out. I'm here with nutritionist and culinary guru Rose Reisman to sort it out. I think, first of all, you have to question whether it is the wheat. The wheat definitely, in today's times, have become more contaminated. I mean, gluten allergies, there was, you know, I'd say about a decade ago was one in 2,500. Today we're hearing about these allergies, one in 133. And something's going on, for sure. And could it be the way our wheat is being um, produced now? Might be contaminated. I don't really know. But the good news is that, you know, uh, suppliers, restaurants, caterers like myself have jumped on the bandwagon and really producing fabulous food for those that do suffer from eating gluten. And it's not like it was years ago where really the products were second rate. Well, it really seems to be the latest craze. I mean, everyone from the Clintons, yes. that famous gluten-free wedding cake, yep. uh, to Novak Djokovic, the number one tennis player yeah. in the world, says he got to number one after oh, yeah. he went on a gluten-free diet. And there you go. That's all someone has to say, and people are going to start trying it and believing it. How do you know if you would benefit from adopting a gluten-free diet? Well, one is, you know, you you have to start almost keeping a journal. So what you want to do is if you notice you get bloating, I mean, I've had this at times where I've had some bloating and and just gastrointestinal discomfort. So you start looking at your diet. If you're a big dairy consumer or a wheat consumer, you start cutting those foods out, seeing if you feel any different. Um, And then slowly introduce gluten-free foods, make sure you're eliminating the gluten and see if you feel better. But again, really true gluten allergies, you'd be allergic to a lot more than just the flour. I have a lot of friends who jump on the latest nutrition craze, whatever it is, and then they say they feel better and who knows, it might be the placebo effect. So how do you know if this is something real or if it's just the latest diet craze? Um, I think a, a true gluten allergy is real. You absolutely will have discomfort. But again, as I said, you start looking at um, you know, processed luncheon meats, that has wheat in it, um, seasoned rice mixes, uh, soups, and, and even vegetables and sauce. So if you're feeling better, I'm not going to question it. My attitude is if you're feeling better, I actually had someone say to me the other day, Rose, I went on a gluten-free diet and lost 10 pounds. Now I went, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, I don't want people to believe that. But then when this person told me what they did, they basically cut out all the carbs in their diet. So if you're going to do that, you're going to lose weight anyway, but that's not always a healthy diet. But again, you could experiment with gluten-free foods, like um, learning how to cook your rice pasta, your corn pasta perfectly is fantastic. So maybe after a big bowl of regular pasta in an Italian place, go home and make a corn pasta. To see if you feel better, see if you have any discomfort. That's that's the only way I really could tell you that you would know. What are some of the other things you can eat on a gluten-free diet? Well, you can virtually eat anything, meaning you can eat all your proteins, all your fruits, all your vegetables. The things you want to stay away from um, are wheat, barley, and rye. That's where your gluten is found. You have to be very careful of any packaged, processed, canned, or frozen foods because often that's where wheat can sneak in just for processing. So you really have to read those labels. So, I mean, I guess what's good about a gluten-free diet is the more natural your diet, the better it is. Nothing processed, nothing packaged. Uh, A real gluten allergy, you won't step into a fast food 
marketplace, even a restaurant contamination. I'm going to be a devil's advocate again. Sure. I mean, those processed foods are bad for you. And to begin with. they would probably make you feel bad, bad anyway. anyway. I, so. I, I totally agree. Um, you know what? My advice is really to, as again, read those labels and go on a real gluten-free diet for two or three weeks. That's what you'd have to do. But you have to be disciplined enough to go through your pantry and read and know what the other words are for wheat and say to yourself, okay, I'm not going to touch this. I'm going to make my sauces from scratch. I'm going to read every label. I'm, I, barbecue sauce has wheat in it. So what are you going to coat your chicken with? So if you really want to take it to that extreme and you really want to find out if you have an allergy, that's what you have to do. Sometimes people with gluten allergies, not celiacs, gluten allergies, if they take themselves off gluten completely for six months, they can reintroduce small amounts. You can't if you're celiac. So you've got to be careful of that. So having a gluten allergy today doesn't mean you have to live the rest of your life without gluten. You can reintroduce it. When we see gluten-free cakes or breads or cookies, what are they made of? Oh, different flours. So you might be using anything from a tapioca to a bean flour to a potato starch to a potato flour. And if people want to bake cakes with gluten-free, today you can actually go into your supermarket and buy a gluten-free flour. And believe it or not, they end up mixing about two or three or four different flours for the best taste and texture. So it won't contain wheat. But I tried one or two different flours and I got the best results from just using a rice flour. That was, that was absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, you alluded to the relationship between going gluten-free and losing weight. So right. let's get into that. Right. Um, I don't think there's really any correlation there at all. But as I say, when I spoke to this one person, he swore that he had lost weight. But then when I really asked him and examined what he was eating, he was cutting out virtually. He wasn't going into quinoa and eating the rice passes. He just cut out carbs completely. Honestly, if you change one for one, if I have quinoa versus white rice, well, quinoa is way healthier for you, but not necessarily lower in calories. Okay. Rose Reisman, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Libby. A pleasure. That interview first aired in May 2012. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. This Friday marked the 36th anniversary of the death of one of the biggest pop culture icons of the 20th century, Elvis Presley. In just a moment, we'll pay tribute to the king with his last number one hit. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, it's the story of drunks helping drunks get sober. Bill W. and Dr. Bob is about two alcoholic visionaries in the 1930s who started Alcoholics Anonymous. Starring Patrick Ball and Timothy Crow, Bill W. and Dr. Bob is directed by film producer Seth Gordon. It's on stage at the Soho Playhouse. To Chicago, where impression, fashion, and modernity has been extended until the end of September. The internationally acclaimed exhibition uncovers the relationship between art and fashion from the mid-1860s through the mid-1880s, as Paris became the style capital of the world. It's at the Art Institute of Chicago. And in Paris, the Louvre is presenting a large-scale exhibition of the work of 80-year-old Italian artist Michelangelo Pistoletto. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. Love me, 
tender, love me sweet. This Friday marked the 36th anniversary of the death of the king, Elvis Presley. He passed away from a heart attack on August 16, 1977, after battling an addiction to prescription drugs. On Thursday night, thousands of people attended a candlelight vigil in the meditation gardens at Graceland, his longtime Memphis home. The vigil is part of the annual Elvis Week, a yearly tribute to the king's life and music. Today, we'll pay tribute to Elvis in our own way by playing his last true number one hit. It came almost a decade before the end of his life. In the summer of 1969, it was his one and only number one hit after his famous comeback special of 1968 and is widely regarded as the song that reinvigorated his career. Here is Suspicious Minds. We're caught in a trap. That was Elvis Presley with Suspicious Minds, the last of his songs to take the number one spot on the Billboard charts. It did so in August of 1969. This Friday marked the 36th anniversary of Presley's death. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bendry. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.